It's so good to uh, be back here at Free Christian uh, and to see all of you. It's been four years since uh, we retired. The time has gone fast, uh, but it's so great to be back. And I will get some coffee afterward. Look forward to uh, greeting many of you. And I look forward to those words. You look good. <laughs> you know, there are three, three stages in life. There's childhood. There's adulthood. Right, Joanne? <laughs> Joanne knows this. And there's, you look good. <laughs> I'm at that stage now. Compared to your funeral, you look very good. <laughs> That's really what it means. But anyway, I heard that a lot first, after the first service. It's good, uh, good to be here. Um, I, when JP contacted me about something in the, in the late spring, I can't remember what it was. Uh, it might have been this, you know, preaching. And, he, and then he said, oh, by the way, the church, you know, kind of as a footnote, the church conferred on you the title of Pastor Emeritus. And uh, I was blown away. That it really is an honor. And uh, I thank you for that. I know you're in the um, series of, of Isaiah this summer. <clears throat> I asked John if I could actually preach from a text in Jeremiah. And it's an it's a incident in the life of, of Israel, of the nation, of actually the Jewish nation, uh, because they were the southern part, the kingdom divided in two um, after Solomon, after the time of Solomon, the son of David, about 1000 BC. It became two nations. Israel was the north and Judah was the south. Israel at this point was already gone. The Assyrians destroyed them in uh, uh, 710 or 721 actually BC. And then about 150 years later, 586 BC, it was the southern kingdom's time. This time it was the Babylonians who came and carted them off wholesale. 500 miles to Babylon. And so this passage, that was the second greatest event in the Old Testament. The greatest event was at the time of Moses, about 1400 BC, when the Israelites left Egypt and 40 years later came to the Promised Land, Israel. This was the second greatest event, the captivity or the exile, as it's called. It lasted 70 years, as Jay read, as the scripture said, Jeremiah predicted. And then uh, the Persians under Nebuchadnezzar, or rather under Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king, Cyrus the Great conquered Babylon and allowed the exiles to go back. And then that's the time of Ezra, who rebuilt the temple, in the time of Nehemiah, who rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. And then the next greatest event is the coming of Jesus Christ. And so this was a transition, the end of the kingdom. And Israel did not again have sovereignty over its own territory from 586 BC until 1948. Do you really believe that God controls history? When has that ever happened that a nation has come back into existence after all that time? But it did, it happened. And Israel is here today. Uh, and so that's what we're looking at. And it's a transition. We're going to think about transitions because we're all in them at one time or other. They take many forms. They have a beginning. They have a middle part, which is that part of feeling um, the, the loss of equilibrium, a feeling like we're not where we want to be. 
of feeling uprooted, of feeling uncertain and confused. That's the middle part. And then they have a conclusion. And in this Israel's case, it was after the 70 years when they went back, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And so that's what we're going to think about this morning. And it connects to Isaiah because Isaiah prophesied, he predicted this would happen, the exile, the captivity, although he lived and died before it happened. Jeremiah was alive when it happened. He didn't, obviously didn't live to see the conclusion, but he, God had, through him, spoken to the people this message of hope that this transition, this in-between time would end. And so what were they to do? It's a very practical passage, a very encouraging passage that we'll look at. What were they to do in that meantime? Because that's where you are when you're in a transition, if you're in the middle, it's in the meantime. What do I do until I get to where I want to be and believe I, I need to be? But let me pray for us and then uh, we'll look at the passage. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be our teacher this morning by your Holy Spirit and your word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight this day. Amen. Um, this is a passage about waiting. All of our lives, we are waiting. Got a thought about that? I'm sure you have. When we're little, we can't wait to be big. Then when we get to be teenagers, we can't wait to get our license, to get out of high school, to get a job, to get to college. When we're in college, we can't wait to get done and get out and start, you know, real life, as we say, and start to make money. And then as young adults, we can't wait to meet that special person and fall in love and then, you know, get married, own a home. And then we can't wait to have kids. And then we have kids and we can't wait till they get older. <laughs> and they get older and we forget that when they're little, they have little problems. When they get big, they have big problems, and you do too. Uh, and then we, we uh, then they, they head off, the nest is empty, and life begins, right? And then they move back. <laughs> and you've heard the expression, you know, first there were preppies, and then there were yuppies, and now there's kippers which stands for kids in parents' pockets eating retirement savings. <laughs> because they're living in the basement. And then eventually they do find their way and they, they, they move on. And then you say, I can't wait till retire. I retire. And then you get there and then you can't wait for grandkids. And then you get grandkids. And, you, and, and so it goes until finally there's nothing left to wait for. And then we're ready to go home. But why is this? Why, why do we live this way? It's because God has created us in such a way that we always have the future in our thinking. It, it, it just is. We're the only creatures that do. There's no evidence that dogs think this way. Possibly there's some research being done that maybe cats are able to think into the future. I have some, have some research. Um, you know, uh, by the way, as they say, uh, dogs have owners, cats have staff. 
Rob McNell told me that after the first service. That's good. Um, here's, here's the research I've been doing on this. It's excerpts from diaries, dogs' diaries and cats' diaries. Some of you have probably seen this. Here's excerpts from a dog's diary, proof that they have no sense of the future. 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40, a walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12, lunch, my favorite thing. 1, played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3, wagged my tail, my favorite thing. On and on, till finally, 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. It's all right in the present. Cats, on the other hand, excerpt from a cat's diary, day 983 of my captivity. <laughs> right? You don't own them. My captors continued to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. <laughs> it's true, you know, you know it. So, you know, transitions, they're happening to us all the time. And, and it's in that in-between time. I mean, maybe it's the death of, of, of a significant member of our family, a, a parent or a spouse. Um, and, and there's a transition time as we make sense of that and grieve that loss. A divorce creates a huge transition. The loss of, of a marriage and all that that meant. And then there's that in-between time where we're not where we want to be. Um, relocations, tremendous time of transition. We've been in one for four years. You know, it's only been in the last year. Kathy adjusted very quickly. Uh, she got to live in her own home for the first time after 35 years because we lived in the church's home here. We're very grateful for that. But we got to live in our own home uh, now in Maine. And, and so that, I think, was very helpful for her. But um, I don't miss living in Massachusetts. I have to be honest with you. I don't miss the drivers. You, you know what in Maine we call you. And uh, I, used, I used to be like you, but I've reformed. Um, I saw a bumper sticker in Portland, Maine, that said, Recovering Masshole. <laughs> I'm one of them now. And uh, I'm, I'm really reforming. I'm trying so hard, except when I come back to Massachusetts, I just lapse back into it. So I'm not completely there, but I'm, 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 I'm trying. I'm in, I'm in therapy for it, and I think I'm... Anyway, um, but it has taken me almost four years um, to, to feel like I belong there. We've tried to do everything right. We've joined a church. We're serving. We're connecting. We started a Bible study with our neighbors. Everything that Jeremiah would tell you to do in the meantime. And still, it's hard. Um, Maybe you're in one of these. Maybe, maybe it's the end of your career. Maybe you've lost your job. These are those transition times in, in, in that middle period when we've lost our equilibrium. Uh, that's where we need Jeremiah's counsel. And so he says really three things. He says a lot of things, but I've tried to group them around three things. What is this mean time to be? 
It's first of all a time to discern what God is saying to us because surely he is acting and speaking in this time. Um, and we see that, just a hint of it, in verse uh, 4, the first verse that was read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was God who had done this. And the, the Babylonians took only the cream of the crop. They didn't take everyone. They took all of the educated, all of the artisans, all of the aristocracy, all of the wealthy, all of the leaders, all of the important people. That's how they broke nations. You take the leaders and, and the nation is destroyed. And, and that's how they did it. They didn't have to occupy it. They took the people away. Ethnic cleansing. And uh, that broke what was left. And so what are they, what are they to, how are they to make sense of this? The first thing that Jeremiah says is that God did this. Understand that. This was not an accident. God did this, and he did it as punishment for the apostasy of, of, uh, of the Jewish people. They had drifted so far away in, in the worship of pagan gods. They had gotten to the point where they were sacrificing their children to the god Moloch. It had become that evil. And, uh, and, and, and this was punishment. Now, it's important for us to realize a huge difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament was very harsh, very punishing. You know, he, he punishes sin directly, kind of this one-to-one, -one, you sin, you get punished. And the God of the New Testament is Jesus, very kind and merciful. No, God is God. He doesn't improve with age. How he related to the world was different. The Old Covenant is how he related in the scriptures of the Old, of the Old Testament. Covenants are how we relate to one another. A, a condo association has a covenant to govern how the people are going to relate to one another. It's a contract. And so God in the old covenant related directly to the people in this one-to-one -one ratio. Sin was punished directly because the people embodied the sin and they needed to be punished. In the new covenant, it's Jesus Christ who embodied the sin and he was punished on the cross so that there is this way, this, this, this season of grace that it allows us to come back to Christ, to God, and to find him because the sin is not held against us. Now, obviously, there is a day of judgment that comes for any who refuses the offer of grace, and then there's this accountability. But in this life, there's this graciousness that's extended. And so that's the difference here. Um, God may not have caused what you're going through, but he allowed it. In the, in the script theologians speak of the, in the Bible speaks of the permissive will of God. He allows everything that happens, but not everything that happens is his will. Big difference between Allah in Islam is revealed in the Quran and in Jehovah, or Yahweh is revealed in the scriptures. Uh, Yahweh is, is, is all good. There's no darkness in him. In fact, John says in 1 John, God is light and there's no darkness at all in him. There's no evil. He does not cause evil. He allows it. He doesn't cause it. Allah, on the other hand, causes everything. Everything that's happened in the world, all the good, all the evil, the most horrific evil things that happen to people, Allah willed. So when somebody says, well, Allah is the same as God, no, not really. Not really. Not at all. And, and so, but God is saying here, he wants, the, he wants the Jewish people in exile to know that he 
has brought this about so that they'll understand what he's doing, so that they'll discern. And when you're in a, a period of that in-between time of the transition, in, in the meantime, one of the most important things we can do is listen and, and understand what God is saying to us. So the question is not why. Why is a judgment question? Why, is a, why in, in, in implies punishment? Why is this happening? I've not done anything to deserve it. That's what why, that's the back of why. And so you're not going to get an answer to why because it's, it's, a, it's the wrong question to ask. The qu better question is what? What is the meaning of this? God, what are you trying to teach me in this? What am I to learn? Um, one of the things that Andrea Lerman, who's right here, Andrea, cite you, um, is she, she taught me about the prayer of examine. E-X-A-M-I-N, examine. It's, it's from the word that referred to the little tongue or pointer that was on a set of scales. When you had a set of scales and you were weighing something, it would point and it would reveal the truth about what was being weighed. And so the prayer of examine, it comes from the Middle Ages in particular, the, uh, the great uh, Catholic saint, uh, Saint Ignatius. And he was, it's, although it's in the Bible, you'll find it there, but he was the one who kind of formulated it. It's the prayer that basically, you know, it, it's like when you get on the scale in the morning, in the needle, although you probably have a digital scale, I still have one that has a needle, and the needle points, and you say, that can't be right. And, uh, and so you get off, and you take off more clothes, and you get back on, still can't be right. So you jump up and down, it must be stuck. And finally, you know, you can more or less get it to the weight you want it to say for you, right? But, but the truth is the truth, and it doesn't lie. And the prayer of examine is a prayer to get at the truth. It's basically to ask the question of God, what does this mean? What am I to learn? I'm in this time. I'm not where I want to be. I'm in transition. Help me. What are you trying to say to me? In, in, in this time of the loss of my, my balance and in, in the sense of, of being disconnected, what am I to learn? Teach me. And it's a prayer that you, you pray, and sometimes you pray it a long time before you get an answer. But sooner or later, you will get an answer. An answer will emerge out of the, the apparent confusion of that, of that time. Um, very important that we, we do that. It, it can also go the other way, where we say, God, what do I want from you? What do I need from you? You've allowed me to be in this situation. What do I need to, to really be able to live now? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm here. In the meantime, what do I need? And you can go to God boldly and ask him that. That's, that's legitimate, the prayer of example. Then, um, so we're, we're, we're discerning, we're praying for discernment to understand it. Then it's also a time for for being connected. It's not a time to be adrift. It's not a time to go it alone. It's a very important time that we connect and, and be in some kind of, of community with others. And we see just very practical stuff about this. Verse five and on. Build houses. Settle down. You see, this is, this is, this is counterintuitive. When you're in a transition, you're thinking, no, I'm not going to unpack. This is temporary. I'm not going to be here. So I'm not, I'm not going to settle down. But if you don't settle down, you have no influence in your environment. 
Something we discovered by living in two places, because we lived here, as I said, in the parsonage, and yet we had our place in Maine for 40 years, and we would spend our time up there. Something we discovered that when you live, when you have two homes, and a lot of people have two homes, or live in Florida, or uh, you know, in New England, divide your time. It's very, very hard to build community. We'd race up there, you know, we didn't go on a weekend because we had to work. We'd race up there maybe on a Monday or, or Tuesday, get everything done. We had to get done, wave to our neighbors, get back in the car, drive home. And we did not get to know our neighbors until we moved up there. And then, and so I'm not saying, you know, two homes, it's wonderful. We, we loved, loved living in Andover, you know, best of two worlds, uh, best of both worlds. It's great. But we, we've got to connect. And so, Build houses, settle down, unpack. They were told it was going to be two years. The false prophet said, you're going to be here two years, then you'll be home. So, you know, don't unpack your suitcases. And Isaiah corrected them, no, not Isaiah, Jeremiah. It's going to be 70 years. You better unpack. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in my experience, God's time is always longer than my time. I always think something's going to be wrapped up quicker. Almost never is. Isn't that true? And this is certainly the case. So unpack. Settle in. Uh, plant gardens. Have, marry. Have children. Marry your children off so that they will increase and not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray for them because if it prospers, you will prosper. You know, Babylon is, is synonymous in the, in the scriptures, Old and New Testament, for everything that was evil. And yet they're to pray for it. They, they weren't to live in their little, little enclave. They were to bless the community. This is about resisting the temptation in those transitions to, to just travel light and, and, and not connect because I'm going to be out of it soon. Maybe, maybe not. Connect. Um, have children. I used to, when I'd counsel young couples getting married, I'd ask them, do you plan to have children? Yeah. I'd always say the same thing. Have them, have them early and have them often. Of course, nobody ever listens to me on that, and, uh, but that's all right. I still think it's good advice. You know, this is a great time to have children. Now, the world is a mess. Is this the worst? I mean, you hear, you hear the news. So I think it's the news cycle more than anything. You get the impression that this is the the second coming. This is the great tribulation. You know, some of us are old enough to remember when America was in a lot more trouble than it is now. Some of us in the 1950s as little toddlers, you know, little, little school children, first graders and kindergartners, had, had drills for atomic bombs. You know, the, the announcement would come that we were all to get under our desks. And, and when we saw the flash, we were to duck and cover. You know, that's like that advice on an airplane. You know, if this plane's gonna go down into the ocean, grab your seat cushion, bend over with your head between your knees, and you know the rest of it. <laughs> when you saw the flash, you were vapor. I mean, the insanity of that. And, and yet life won. Uh, racial division, I don't think the country's racially divided. Obviously, there are issues. You want to see racial division? Live through the 1960s. 
That was, you know, I think, I think, I don't know anyone who's a bigot. Maybe I don't travel in the circles. I don't know anybody who, who's a racist today. There's incredible harmony. Obviously, there are issues. There really are. Uh, but I think this is a great time to be alive. I think it's a great time to have families. I think it's a great time to, to build houses. I think it's a great time to settle down. If I were young, I'd be taking my financial advisor's advice and I'd be investing heavily for the future. But you know, at my point, you don't want to do that. Right, financial counselor? Uh, but if you're young, be investing. This is not the end. Read the Bible. It's gonna get a lot worse before it's the end. This is not the end. This is a time to invest. It's a time to, to connect. It's a great time to connect with the church. Uh, or reconnect. Sometimes we drift away. That's all right. There are seasons in life. It's a great time to reconnect. Great time to take Alpha. Take it again. It's different. Invite someone to it. That's, that's the advice here. Form your community. It's our responsibility to build our own community. None of us deserves community. The only one who deserves to be loved for who they are is God Almighty. The rest of us have to earn our community. I have friends who, unless I call them, they will never call me. Now, I could say, huh, I'm not going to call them. You know, I, every time, they never, ever. No, I need their friendship so much that I'm going to do whatever it takes to sustain that. I don't expect them to love me for who I am. Only my mother did, and she's gone, and only God does. We have to earn. So it's a time for connecting, um, time for serving your community. Get involved in your community. When we were here, I served on different communities, and Kathy, when the kids were younger, we served in PTO and all that. What a great way to have influence in your community. Uh, the best opportunities for us, I think, are serving. Best opportunities to live out the life of Christ are, are out in the community or where you work. You know, I used to say, and you've heard me say it, that JP and I have to preach 30 minutes a week. Hopefully it'll be 30 minutes. And uh, we, get to use, we have to use words. You get to preach at work or in your community uh, all week. And you get to use your life, which is better than words. We sang about it this morning. May my deeds outrun my words. And, and so that, that's all to say I, I serve on um, the dam committee because we're on a, a pond up there. I mean, every committee, right? Dam committee. <laughs> <laughs> this one really is. And, uh, it's our responsibility to maintain the dam and uh, deal with the uh, flows and all of that. And we get to spend you know, the money of the communities that surround it. But I've enjoyed that. That has connected me with the local community in a way that I would not be connected. And, uh, and I've, I've, had, I've had opportunities there, just a little bit, to, to kind of reveal who I am and who Christ is. So anyway. It's a time for discerning. It's a time for connecting. Finally, it's a time for growing. We see some just great words here. This is what the Lord, starting at uh, verse 8, this is what the Lord Almighty, God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. Yeah, they were saying two years. You'll be out of here. Don't listen to that. They're prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them. 
This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And here's this great verse. If you don't have it underlined, underline it. Write it, write it somewhere that you can remember it. It's so encouraging. For I know, God speaking, the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And uh, the, the Hebrew there in the Old Testament uh, text really says plans to exceed your wildest expectations. It's a superlative. Plans to exceed your wildest expectations. I don't know what you expect for your life. Plan to exceed it. If you're walking with Christ, plan to exceed it. You're going to exceed it, whatever that is. And I'm not talking about prosperity in a financial way. That may happen to you. But that, that means nothing. I've got a dear friend who's a multimillionaire. He's dying of bone cancer. It, just my age. Everything he has, and he has a lot, all going to be left. And he's going to go. And I'm praying. I'm praying. He's got a hard heart. I'm praying that he will soften his heart. Turn to Christ. But it's, he's going to prosper your life in ways you could not marry. Imagine. That's what marriage started to say that too, perhaps. Um, and so this is, this is about growing in our understanding of him, growing in his word. Do you read the Bible every day? I hope you do. That is one of the best things, and maybe you miss a day here and there, we all do, but that is one of the best habits you can ever get into. I learned something about my father at his funeral. He died more than 20 years ago, and some of you know him. He was a wonderful Christian. He had a, a practice of reading the Bible every single day. I actually have one of his Bibles, and uh, I see his notes in it. He, wasn't, he was only a high school education, but he, he, he loved the Word of God. And, and I learned at his funeral where that practice came from. He was at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked in 1941. He'd been in the Navy for a year, and he was living life large in Hawaii and just enjoying life, paying his, his uh, doing his duty in the service. And then on December 7th, Pearl Harbor was attacked. His ship was not attacked, but all around him, he saw the death and destruction. And his first job was to rescue, search and rescue mission, going through the harbor. And we've, we've been there, we've seen the Arizona and the other ships there. And, and going around that beautiful harbor, rescuing people, sailors who had been blown off their ships in the water. Then it was search and recovery covering the bodies, and then the next day, his ship went to sea, and for the next four years, he was in the Navy in the South Pacific, and just saw harrowing, harrowing um, combat, had a ship sunk out from under him. But it was after that incident at Pearl Harbor that through a little, uh, an organization, small then, just begun, known as Navigators, that he began reading the Bible every day. Navigators influenced the lives of countless sailors, because that's where it started, soldiers and then university students. Oh, millions and millions have been blessed over the last 70 years. And it's it, it, a keystone of navigators is the word of God, immersing yourself in the word of God on a daily basis. My father, because of that practice, the word of God in his life and living it out, he had influence. He influenced me and my brothers. And he influenced his grandchildren, uh, two of whom are here today. And, he, and, and through his grandchildren, is influencing the fourth generation of what would have been his great-grandchildren he never got to see. 
that's how you influence. And that's all we have in this life. The best thing we can hope to do is influence other people. And with the word of God in our hearts, we can do that. So um, don't listen to the false prophets. They're all around us. They're on CNN, they're on Fox, they're on talk radio, they're everywhere. Maybe a little bit of information, but not truth. Our truth needs to come from God's word. We need to grow on that. And then finally, we just need to grow in hope. Because this is a passage about hope. When you're in that transition, it's hard to have hope. But we've got to have hope. We've got to have little hopes. You have to have day, uh, not daily, daily hopes are good. But you've got to have at least a weekly hope. You've got to have something every week that you're looking forward to. You know, if you've got little kids, do something every week with them. Give them something special to look forward to. If you're married, have, have a something every week that you do a date night or whatever. Have something in your life. If you're single, plan something. Contact those friends. Build that community. That's what the Sabbath is. We have a great misunderstanding of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was all about do everything you need to do in one day, in one week rather, and then one day a week. Celebrate. Have something that you're looking forward to. That, that's how you sustain yourself through the the, the long weeks and the long months and the long years, sometimes grim times with that weekly something. But then we have to have the bigger hope, the hope of our life. What's God got in store? And then, you know, you get to my point in life and the time you know, gets shorter. And I think it's just natural to start to think more about what's to come beyond this life. And, and that's good, too. It's good for us to think about that. Nobody wants to die but it's good for us to set our hope on the things above, as Paul says. Um, we need hope. We need to discern. We need to connect. And we need to grow. Um, very practically, connect with this church. If you haven't, or reconnect with it, maybe. It's a time for connecting. Um, if you haven't unpacked, if you're in a transition re relocating, unpack something as simple as that. Hang your pictures up. Put up your curtains. That's a sign that you're, you're, you're here for as long as God has you. Maybe long, maybe short, but you're here. Um, if you've never given your life to Christ, do that. My goodness, that's the most important thing we can do, to say yes to him and invite him into our lives and, and serve him. Stop thinking, I'll be happy when, and start saying, I'll be happy today. I will be happy today. Amen.